0: This morning, as we begin our service together, Brother Caleb read a passage that we had touched on several Sunday mornings ago. Um, and we'll do a little bit of that, of that just to bring it into context. But I want us to read this morning uh, verse number 25 down through 31. Caleb read them, but I want to read it again. And it'll be our jumping po- point off. Or it'll be the verses that we'll look at together this morning. Verse number 25 of Mark 10. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. Saying among themselves. Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith. With men it is impossible. But with God. uh, But not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began. "...again to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee." And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man... That's a very important two words there. "...there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold." Now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, with persecution. Notice that phrase, with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. I've entitled our message in a time together this morning, Investing Strategy 101. An Investment Strategy 101, you may entitle it Investment Strategy for Eternal Dividends. Investment Strategy for Eternal Dividends. We hear a lot today about investment and they tell us that we should start early preparing for the years when we'll not be able to work. And maybe the greatest fear that many of us may have, it would be that the, the days would be longer than the money. Uh, there'd be more days left than there are money left. And, and so we invest. We invest for those days when we'd not be able to labor as we possibly do today. But how do we invest the best way? What's the best way to invest? How do we invest for eternity? How do we lay up treasures? Do we lay up treasures here? Or we do, do we, as the Bible tells us, to lay up treasures in heaven? Well, I submit that this passage this morning is encouraging us to lay up some treasures that are in heaven. Question this morning, where are you laying up your treasures? Where are you laying up your treasures? The Bible tells us that the disciples were astonished out of measure after hearing Jesus and his dealings with the rich young ruler that we read just a little bit ago. And Brother Caleb read in our hearing a little bit earlier. This rich young ruler had asked Jesus... What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus then points him to the Ten Commandments. He points him to the Ten Commandments. Understand not as a way of showing him how he might save himself. That's not what he did at all. But Jesus used the Ten Commandments in the manner for which they were intended. To point out the fact that this rich young ruler was a sinner. That was the intention. That's why they were given. To point out that this young man, this rich young ruler, was a sinner. Uh, He had broken the law of God. And that's why he pointed to the commandments. Jesus mentions uh, the first few of the commandments, thou uh, you know the commandments, he said to him in verse number 19, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, not bear false witness. And on and on he goes. Here, honor thy father and thy mother. And he, the rich young ruler, answered and said to him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. So he mentions, he says, I have kept all of these from my youth. Now, that's quite doubtful, to say the least. The fact that he'd throw in that last one there. Now, as a young man, you may not do some of these others, but uh, I'm going to perfectly obey my mother and father. Well, he may have broke the one commandment right there. He lied. I don't know, but I dare say that possibly that was the case. I'd like to have asked mom and dad that question from them and get their perspective on it, wouldn't you, view? But then Jesus, he goes a step further, and he says to him, you need to do the next thing. And Jesus beholding loved him and said to him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. There it is. And come and take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. You see what Jesus did with the Ten Commandments was to show him his Need and show him his sin. Listen to Matthew chapter number 22, verses 36 through 38. They had come to Jesus. Some of the lawyers had come to Jesus in another occasion. And they said, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see this young rich young ruler said I got that one. I love my neighbor as myself. I've got that one nailed. But he was a colossal failure on point number one. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy Mind, With this, Jesus showed that young man that he was in fact a sinner. Understand, no man by keeping some law can save himself. No man, by keeping some law, can save himself. The law of God was not given to save mankind. The law of God was given to show mankind that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall, mark it in your Bibles, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 8 and, excuse me, Romans 3 and 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified how? By keeping the law? No way, no how. He's justified by faith. And notice this without the deeds of the law. Justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The law is God's standard of perfection. And no man, apart from God himself, Jesus Christ, the God-man, has ever perfectly kept the law other than Jesus Christ. The law had proven that this young ruler was a sinner. And by exposing the idols, the idol of, 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 uh, of materialism in his heart, The idol, he exposed the idol in the man's heart that this man was not willing to part with. So, the Bible tells us that he went away grieved. He went away grieved. And as far as we know, he remained lost. We don't have any indication. We don't know what happened after this story. But as far as we know from the Bible, we have no indication that he ever came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior... So therefore, we would conclude that if he died in his, this condition that he went away grieved with, if he died in that condition, he is in hell this morning. Died and went to an eternity separated from God. What a tragedy. What a tragedy this story is. The sad addition to that is that the same story repeats itself over and over again in our day as well. This young man chose his earthly possessions, yet lost them all. He chose his earthly possessions, but lost them all when he exited this life. When he could have chosen Christ and gained eternal life and lived forever. In heaven where the treasures are forevermore. This man chose a earthly, a worldly pursuit, and he missed out on God's blessings. He missed out on God's heaven. He missed out on God's eternal life, on God's forgiveness, on God's goodness. Verse number 23, Jesus, after his discussion with with the young ruler, he now turns to his disciples. Looking around, he said to the disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. He's turning to his disciples as this man is literally, I believe, walking away. Walking away, still lost. Jesus now uses this as a teaching moment for his disciples. Remember, they're still in the school of Jesus Christ. Jesus is working his way towards Jerusalem. There's still some lessons that need to be learned. And they would learn these lessons Not only here, but they would learn many more to come. He says, how hardly. In other words, it's with great difficulty. It's of rarity. It's very rare that a rich man would stop trusting in his riches and trust Jesus Christ alone to be saved. It's very hard for that rich man who's trusting in his riches and trusting in his wealth and trusting in his position And his possessions. It's very rare for that kind of individual to turn away from trusting that, to trust him, Jesus Christ. Many would believe that riches, in that day particularly, that riches and wealth were a proof of God's blessings. And you know what? We hear the same thing today. Well, God's blessing, my business. God's blessing this or God's blessing that. That's proof positive that God is on my side. Don't begin to think that. That's not necessarily true. You see, there are very wicked people living very wicked lives who are, have coffers filled with possessions. So be careful that we don't uh, equate the two together. We don't equate our wealth with God's blessings. And yet, that's what these disciples were doing. They were astonished at what had taken place. They were amazed at thinking, uh, certainly wealth and and prosperity was surely a blessing of God. And these disciples were amazed at thinking that if this rich man, uh, who had been blessed by God, was not saved, nor could he be saved in this particular condition. The point that Jesus is making here is that Riches in and of themselves are not wrong. Riches in and of themselves are not wrong. But it's the snare of self-dependence, self-satisfaction that one with riches can fall into And makes saving that individual difficult or that individual trusting Jesus Christ. The trusting in those riches, that's what the difficulty where it lies. Not in the the, the possession itself, but in the possession having the possessor. The young ruler said, Master, I've observed all of these things from my youth. And then we see that illustration. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus gives that illustration how difficult it is for that rich man to be saved. And the Bible says in verse number 24, after hearing this, again, they were astonished. Verse number 26, they were astonished out of measure. They were literally stunned at the words of Jesus. Now, I don't really know what being astonished out of measure means. But I can imagine that their, maybe their eyes were as big as saucers and their mouth was that wide. Can you just see what's going on here? After hearing what Jesus has said, they were dumbfounded. They had just learned and they had just understood that blessings, that wealth and prosperity, does, is not. A, you cannot equate that with eternal life or with receiving salvation. One has nothing to do with the other. Verse number 26 is one of those, I would call it, you might say, a claim it. uh, Just a name it and claim it verse in our Bibles. Look at verse number 27. Jesus looking upon them said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. I think that's a good verse to name and claim. With God, all things are possible. If we as Christians, if the church today lived with that truth in mind and stepped out in faith based upon that truth, what in the world could the church not accomplish? May I say, nothing. Because with God, all things are possible. We could, I believe, literally say, as William Carey said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. We can expect great things, we can attempt great things, if we really believe that with God, all things are possible. We seldom, we seldom expect And we even more seldom attempt because we don't believe the words of Jesus Christ to his disciples here. It is when we by faith trust our mortal impossibilities to to give them over. And we trust those things to God's divine ability that we see the power and the miracle of God taking place. We give over our human impossibilities. Are there any human impossibilities that you think of today? Is there anything going on in your life that you may say, Well, it is an impossibility. This is the way it has to be. This is the way it's going to be. If we could give those things over to God and believe by faith that God is able to take the way we think and turn it on its head, and do something miraculous. How would it change our lives? A rich or a poor man cannot save himself, but with God, both can be saved, and everybody in between. It's okay to say, God, I believe, help thou my unbelief. But the key there is, get out of the unbelief. God I believe but help my unbelief. The key is don't stay in the unbelief. Get out of the unbelief. Stop being cast down. Stop being a doomsday Christian. Because with God all things are possible. Thomas Brooks said faith is the key that unlocks paradise and lets us A flood of joy into the soul. If it's going wrong, don't go with it. Go with God. If it's going wrong, stop going with it. Go with God. Because with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with Him. What a difference this would make in our lives. In verses 28 through 31, we find Peter again as the spokesman of the 12 disciples. In verse number 28, then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Lord, what about us? Where do we fit here? Now Mark gives Peter's words as though a question is asked, and in fact Peter is asking a question in light of what they had just heard, the dialogue with the rich young ruler. This man was not willing to forsake anything and be a follower of Christ. But Peter steps up as a spokesman of the twelve and he says, but we have left everything to follow you. If this man walked away and received nothing, received not eternal life, what about us? Peter now asks, Lord, we've given all, what's in store for us? And Matthew says, Behold, he says it this way. Matthew's account says, Behold, we have forsaken all. We have forsaken all and followed thee. And what shall we have therefore? This man didn't, wasn't willing to forsake anything, and he walked away with nothing. But Lord, we've forsaken all. What shall we have therefore? It's as if Peter asks, Lord, will after all that we have given up to be a follower of you, will all of this one day pay off? Uh, We've given everything up to be your disciples. Will there one day come a reward? Now, from the world's eyes, a rich man who... They believed to be blessed by God. He was not willing to forsake anything to follow. Yet, he remains wealthy with the, with the world's goods. Lord, what about us? We have forsaken all the world's goods and we've followed you. In the eyes of the world, we are now poor. Lord, what about us? What about our sacrifice? Will we one day be rewarded? Will it be worth it all for what we've done? Lord, will you forsake those who have forsaken all to follow you? That's the question. Lord, will you forsake those who have forsaken all to follow you? Lord, does it pay dividends to anyone who's willing to follow Christ? Does it pay dividends... To follow the Lord. Now part of me. If I ask that question this morning. Part of me would love to spend the time. To allow many of you. So many of you. Who are in this service today. Who have done exactly that. Forsaken all to follow Christ. Is it worth it? Did it pay off? Are there dividends involved? To allow you to answer that question. To allow you to give uh, the answers to that it, maybe somewhere years and years ago you forsook all to follow the will of God. The question this morning, and would love to have the time to to take and hear it from you, but has God paid you dividends? Has God paid you dividends? Does it pay to follow Jesus? Like to hear some of you this morning. Does it pay to follow Jesus? I imagine it would take a while to hear from so many of you this morning. It would say God has rewarded in ways that I never anticipated. God has been so good. God is blessed beyond measure. It'd be interesting to ask if anybody ever felt cheated. Has anybody ever felt cheated for serving God? For forsaking all to serve God? Have you ever felt cheated? You ever felt shortchanged? Anybody feel like uh, they've given up more than they've gotten back because they serve God? I believe that there'd not be time enough for just one or two people here today to to honestly give the answer that God has not disappointed in one least little bit. Following God has not been a disappointment at all. God has never let me down. I gave my life to follow Jesus years ago, maybe as a teenager, and I've never been disappointed for doing so. Never been disappointed. The years of following Christ has not brought disappointment. The years have only made him sweeter as they've gone by. The grieving comes to those who refuse to follow, not to those who do follow. The grieving comes to those who refuse to follow, not those who do follow. Christ had called this rich young ruler to forsake all to follow him and he would not. And he lost it all. What about Peter and the others? They had been called to forsake some things. And they had listened. They had followed. Listen to what the Bible says in Mark chapter number 1. Look here at the calling of the disciples. And at least a few of them. Mark chapter 1 verses 16 and following. Now is he Jesus Walked by the sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew his brother. Casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. And Jesus said to them. Come ye after me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets. And followed him. And when he had gone a little further. Thence he saw James the son of Zebedee. And John his brother. Who also were in the ship. Mending their nets. And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee, in the ship with the hired hired servants and went after him. They had called, God had called these men to follow, and they forsook, and they went. They obeyed God. And God says it will make a difference. What I see in this passage as we look at this this morning, as we look at Peter's question I want us to consider just very three quick points, and we're done. Some things that are in these disciples' lives that I believe makes a difference. First of all, there was a willingness in the forsaking. Would you mark that down, please? There was a willingness in the forsaking. The willingness in the forsaking is the willingness on our part. The willingness on our part. There must come in our lives a willingness, if we're going to follow Christ, a willingness to be completely done with some things. To be completely done with some things. There must come a time in our lives that we are more willing to live for God and serve His purposes than we are willing to live for ourselves and serve ours. There's a willingness in the forsaking so often we're unwilling to give up some area of the flesh i used to have a pastor back in roanoke virginia dr bob alderman and he would say he would say what flesh hook do you have in you that's holding you back what flesh hook is holding us back from serving god what's the flesh hook in our lives that keeps us from following and serving him What is it that we're not willing to forsake? A willingness of forsaking. What is that thing that's keeping you from serving God? Maybe it's worldly ambition. Climbing the ladder. The corporate ladder. Maybe it's worldly promotion. Uh, Let me make a name for myself. I hope that everybody recognizes me. It's kind of the mindset in much of the social media today. Maybe it's. A forsaking of sinful behavior. Some sinful behavior. I'm just not going to give up. I'm not willing to give up. Maybe there's some secret passions. Maybe there are youthful lusts that's keeping us from following and forsaking and giving everything to God. Maybe there's an unpleasing relationship. May I say this morning that relationships do more to keep us. Unpleasing relationships do more to keep us from serving God than just about anything I can imagine. When a young person would get in an unpleasing relationship to God with with an individual and not serve God. I've seen it happen as a youth pastor and as a pastor now. I've seen it so happen when a young person would have a heart for God. And an unpleasing, an, an equally yoked together kind of relationship comes along. And they are gone off in another direction. May I say those are the things that need to be forsaken in order to follow Jesus Christ carnal desires, corrupting influences. What is it that stands in our way of following God? Whatever you forsake, let me say this, whatever you forsake to serve the Lord, he will fill that void with something much, much, much better. He'll always do that. Jim Elliot said he is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Nate another missionary, who gave his life there on the beach. Along with Jim Elliott. said, People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble bursts, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Nothing of eternal significance to show forth. There are no losers among those who choose to follow Christ with their lives. There are no losers. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, and we'll see it in just a moment, there are only 100-fold gainers. There are no losers for those who choose to follow Christ. Whatever excuse, whatever excuse we give to God for anything less than total surrender to follow His will is the very thing that God is saying needs to be forsaken. Whatever it is. Maybe God's speaking to your heart. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart for for years or for a period of time. And and, and you know that God's dealing in your life. You know that God wants to use you in your life. And, And in each step of the way and in each calling and each impulse from the Holy Spirit, there's an excuse that comes up, wells up within us. And we offer that up to God and we say, God, I can't because of this. God says, that's the thing that needs to be forsaken. That very thing is the need... A forsaking there. There's a willingness to forsake. Not only is there a willingness to forsake. But there's a working in forsaking. When we become willing. When we become willing. God starts working. That's the beauty of this whole thing. When we become willing. God starts working. Let me read you Second Timothy. Chapter 2. And verse number 21. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. And prepared unto every good work. When we are willing to forsake, to follow God, God starts working. Eleven, we know of Judas, but eleven of these men were used by God... To literally turn the world upside down. And guess what? We're still reading their stories today. This is amazing to me. When we start forsaking, God starts working. And we get things in our lives out of the way so God can work in our lives. C.T. Studd, he served as a missionary in China and in Africa. Served in the Belgian Congo called Zaire. Brother Godfrey and Miss Linda served in that part of the world. Reached the Muslims. Miss Martha Kuhnberger was one of the first missionaries to be connected with at the early days of BIMI to go to the Congo. If you don't know who Miss Martha is, her picture's on the wall back here. It's a picture of a little lady holding a little... Little one. I imagine that's somewhere in the Congo. It says love on it. Miss Martha raised her deputation on a Greyhound bus. It took her 16 days to get into the Congo after she got on a ship in New York City. C.T. Studd was one of the first missionaries into that part of the world. His biography says that there were churches in that part of the world and they people, other missionaries would come in and they would be people that would walk for miles and miles and there would be 500, 1,000, 1,500. These people gathered together to hear somebody preach the gospel. Brother Godfrey left out a number of years ago but due to civil war and Ms. Martha Kuhnberger did as well. They went back not too many years back and said as they were going in, they called him Pastor. I can't say it in the French dialect that Brother JB does. But they followed him. They just followed him because he was on the truck, and he was in the right in the back of the truck. And they just followed him for miles till they got to the place. And he said, people came in from everywhere so they could preach. And they, he said, they nearly preached him to death. Want more? Do we have to go home now? CT Stud said, only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, 'Twas worth it all.' Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Moody said, "Theo Moody said, our greatest fear should not be of failure." But of succeeding at something that does not matter. Succeeding at something that does not matter. Mom and dad, young person, teenager, college and career. Whatever stage of your life that you find yourself in. What are you seeking to succeed in? Succeed in something that does not matter. Or succeed in something that will pay eternal dividends forever. See, it's God working. It was God working in a, in a cricketeer, a man by the name of C.T. Studd, who really could have been a professional uh, uh, sportsman in his day. And he had everything going for him. He, he inherited a, quite a, a fortune and he gave it away so that he could reach people with the gospel message. And he said, if I had a thousand lives to do it all over again. If I had a thousand lives, I'd do it all again just like I've done it. Except be more faithful in doing it. I dare ask if I could ask some of you here this morning. After giving your life to serve the Lord. Was it worth it? Would you do it again? And I've heard you say, I just wish I had some more time. I'd do it again. Why in the world... Why in the world would we not want to forsake this old world and let God work through us? To make a difference. Willingness to forsake, working and forsaking. And lastly, notice this, there's a reward in forsaking. There's a reward in forsaking. Verse number 29 and following. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man. Now, let me just stop right there. There's no man. You say, Preacher, this verse is all about Peter and the twelve the eleven disciples. Is that right? Well, in a sense, yes. But I like that Jesus didn't leave us out either. Jesus made sure he included everybody. Put your name in there. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you that there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife. Someone say, well, does that mean that God says it's okay to divorce your wife and go to the mission field? No, that's not what he's talking about. Not at all. Or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. He says in verse number 30, but ye shall receive a hundredfold. A hundredfold. God has promised to give 100-fold for everything we give to Him. 100-fold in return. That's 10,000% interest. (laughs) 10,000% interest for all that you'll give to God. For all that you'll forsake in order to follow Him. That's a 10,000% interest on your investment. We're hoping to do good today. The investors tell us you're hoping to do good. If we can average 9% throughout your career. Working career. On the stock market. Uh, Jesus has got it beat by a long shot. One hundred fold for everything we give. You shall receive a hundred fold. When? When? Now in this time. Now in this time. Houses, brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands. Does this mean we're going to have a thousand houses, a thousand children, a thousand pieces of property? No, it doesn't mean that at all. This is a comparative analogy that Jesus is giving here. God will give you back so much more. The blessings of God will be worth so much more. You say, I've left this, or I've left that, I've walked away from this. God's blessings are worth so much more. Then he adds this statement. God didn't, he didn't cut it any. He, he, he lets us know right up front. And look what he says. You're going to receive all these things, 104, when? In this time. But also he says, in this time, understand if you're going to be a follower of me, there are going to be some persecutions will come you see that's the forsaking the persecutions may come because your family has forsaken you for following God they're crazy oh they've gone too far they've become church fanatics certainly they're wasting their life as a young person they had so much going for them go on with Christ There will be some persecutions. Count the cost. There's going to be some come. But God will bless in this time. And then look, not only in this time, but the latter part of the verse. And in the world to come eternal life. Not only do you have the blessings here, but you have the blessings for eternal life. And many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Reward in forsaking. There are no losers in following Christ. You'll not lose. Can I invite you this morning to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Can I invite you this morning to forsake whatever excuse you've been offering up to God that says, I cannot or I will not. Let me encourage you this morning to allow God to start working in your life. The moment you start forsaking and by faith start following, God begins to work. And I dare say that he goes long before that. Because even in that forsaking, God has put his finger through the Holy Spirit on a specific issue. And says, this is the issue. This is the matter. Lord, what are we going to get for following you? Will there be a reward somewhere down the road? And God says, oh yes, there's a reward. Young person, don't believe the lies of the devil. God's calling you as a young family, a young couple, to serve him. Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Forsake all. Follow him. It will be worth it all. Not only here, but when we see Christ. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.